You're listening to Broken Hearted with Althea Branton. Join me for unscripted conversation about heartbreak in all its forms. Instead of getting over heartbreak, move through it. Face your pain and see what happens next. Welcome to Broken Hearted. I'm Althea Branton, and I'm so grateful that you're here. This week, we're talking about infertility and miscarriage. This episode contains content that listeners may find disturbing or upsetting, but I invite you to listen to this anyway. I'm talking to the incredibly brave Tina Germain, and I'll let her describe herself in her own words. I was one of those children who always saw things that others didn't. I didn't understand why others couldn't see ghosts and other energies. I knew they were real because they showed themselves to me all the time. As I got older, my grandma would tell me stories about all that she could see as well. She made it safe to share my gifts. After graduating from college, I moved out to San Francisco where I began to explore personal growth and metaphysics. I went to numerous lectures and learned from some incredible people. Marion Williamson, Shakti Gawain, and Carolyn Miss, to name a few, as well as doing private work with Shakti. Eventually, I was drawn to the Marin Psychic Institute, which was a division of the Berkeley Psychic Institute. I took classes and became hooked. I relished exploring the gifts that I knew I had in a safe place. I quickly entered the teacher training program and began teaching all levels of both meditation and healing classes from beginner to advanced. I loved it. It helped me to hone and enhance my gifts and talents, as well as teach others that they were just as capable of discovering their own gifts. I worked there for seven years before moving to Los Angeles. Once in Los Angeles, I continued my quest to learn and grow by exploring many different healing modalities. My world changed in 2005 when I was introduced to the personal growth work of Lazarus. Through that work, I learned how to work with my shadow and all the dark emotions there, especially rage. I also learned and then deepened my ability to work with the aspects of self, our inner child, inner adolescent, and negative ego. Doing the immense work to fully heal the darker aspects of self helped me to be able to step into my truer self in ways I'd never imagined. I continue that work today. It was soon after beginning to work with Lazarus that I discovered a new gift, the ability to see and communicate with people who had passed away. That ability appeared one day very clearly, and this has proven to be a useful skill. I was introduced to a couple of different healing modalities in 2012. Combining those with the extensive training I had received, I was able to create a new way of healing uniquely mine. I am in continual pursuit of learning, growing, discovering, and applying new ways to help you in your healing process. I am here to empower you and to give you the tools necessary to thrive. This is my passion. I want you to be the best you can be. Enjoy this conversation between myself and Tina as we break down what actually happens when you go through a miscarriage or you go through infertility grief. Enjoy. Tina, thank you for being on Brokenhearted today. Thank you so much for having me. Now, we are going to dig right in to this topic of infertility grief. So, Tina, Infertility is something that I know it's, I've personally gone through a miscarriage myself and it's, it's something that when I was going through it, 
I was just told, oh, it happens all the time. You'll, you'll get over it. Mm. Like, you know, when you stub your toe, mm -hmm. in that, like your baby toe in that wrong way and that really hurts. And, and yes, there is pain, but it, it does fade. But it's, it was just, the miscarriage was made to feel like I shouldn't grieve. Or it's not painful enough. It's not like ooh, losing a, a family member, a friend, somebody you care about. It's just, it's just something that just happens. But to me, it was not like that. No, no, not at all. Tell me in your own words what infertility grief means to you. Ooh. Um, it's the loss of a dream. It's not only the loss of a life. It's the loss of a dream. And there's so much attached to that dream. And so much that becomes personal in that. Meaning, what's wrong with me? Why have I failed as a woman? What's wrong with my body? Um, to people asking, you know, is God punishing me? I mean, all kinds of questions. Um, I didn't have that final one as much as I had. Why did the universe betray me? Why? <laughs> um, so to dismiss it the way you were dismissed is horrible. In addition to, you know, you can try again or, you know, it's so easy to have kids, you know, they don't happen, you know, all those, it's every time they're gut wrenching and they're, it's like a, it's like a knife in the heart and it does such injustice that with coupled with that shame, that silent shame, because most people don't talk about it. I mean, when I first went through it, I wasn't talking to many people. It was only after time of processing that I realized, why am I being quiet? I have, I'm not going to feel shameful about this. This is not, I'm not an awful person because this happened, but in the moment, it feels so isolating and alone. And, and like I said, all those, what's wrong with me? The loss of a dream, Tina, that is, you're absolutely right. It isn't just, miscarrying isn't just loss of a life. It is the loss of a dream. Mm -hmm. And I totally understand why you felt so isolated. Because when you, as soon as you step out into society and say, I was carrying a child and that child is gone, mm -hmm. there's a whole host of, of societal norms, I guess you could call them, that come into play, which I believe feeds into those feelings of shame, those feelings of, you know, I should be a photocopy machine, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> I, isn't that what womanhood is all about? Isn't that what all women are just destined to do? Just to, you know, pump out copies one after another. Totally. And so when, of course, when that happens, 
of course we're made to feel like failures. We're made to feel like we aren't women anymore because we're not giving birth. And this is our only function, our only reason for being. It's our value. And our worth. Yeah, absolutely. So you take those away and what are you left with? Do you even feel like a woman? Exactly. Did you feel like that? Did you, did you feel like less of a woman? I, I did because I, I thought, but this is supposed to be easy. I, I mean, I went into the whole process like, oh, this, come on, people get pregnant all the time. It's going to be so easy. Oh, yeah, okay. Okay, well, it's not happening. Or it's happening, but it's not holding. So you know what? I'm going to do the acupuncture and the herbs, and I'm going to do everything. And of course, it's going to happen because, duh, I'm a woman. Mm -hmm. So that builds upon itself then. Because then you're adding in, well, I'm doing everything right, and I'm a woman. So, hello. Tell me about when you thought the universe was punishing you. You know, when from the time I decided that we were going to start trying, I was getting signs left and right and left and right. And, you know, all those things that people say you look for, look for the signs. And I'm an intuitive healer by nature, so of course I look for the signs. And they seem so clear. Everything's falling into place, everything. And so when things started to go wrong, it wasn't so much punishing, it was betrayal. It was like, well, what, why, why are you lying to me? Why are you betraying me this way? Why, why are you showing me things to get my hope up only to have them crushed and smashed? And it was really difficult. Did you start questioning your own intuitive oh, ability? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, for a while there, was, was saying to myself, why am I even in the healing business? Clearly, if I can't heal myself, what good am I to everyone else? So, you know, I, 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 gotta, I gotta rethink my whole life. And it was very hard. I, I definitely took less clients on right afterwards. I still worked people, shockingly. In hindsight, I go, wow, man. <laughs> Because <laughs> I really, I mean, I would, I would, funny enough, it's when I was working on other people and things would be so clear and, and it'd be such a great session, but then the session would end and I'd turn it back to me and I'd say, oh, well, you can help them, but you can't help you. So what good are you? I, Almost like you're you're intuitively reading someone else and then as soon as it's focused back on you you're like well how do i trust what you're telling me because you've completely told me a whole other way that it was gonna go and then absolutely the loss of nothing. trust i would say was one of the biggest things and that took a very long time to rebuild very long time Absolutely. I, that took a couple of years before I really could start to trust myself again. 
because I thought, no, clearly I read everything wrong. I mean, I had signs, I had this, I had that. I clearly, something's. Jill, I'm always, I know the universe is a funny thing. And I, I say this because that exact, what you just described happened to me just recently where I had all these messages of there was something that I really wanted that I thought was going to turn out. The signs were there. I felt it in my heart space. All of a sudden, poof, nothing, not even remotely close. Mm. So then I was like, am I being punked? Yeah. (laughs) Am I being punked? And I remember I go to the water to hold space for myself. I went to the water and said, seriously? Uh Uh-huh. How do I even begin to trust in, in you, in me, in my own ability, because you're right, feeling things for others is easy. It comes so naturally. But then that trust within your own self. Oh, absolutely. So not only you're in the situation where you're not trusting yourself, but then if you're unable to conceive, how do you trust your own body? You don't. At first, absolutely don't because, you know, you're doing everything quote unquote right, doing it all right. Mm -hmm. And again, this is supposed to be easy. Like, don't people get drunk and accidentally get pregnant? Like, what is, what's happening? Enough talk shows out there where people like trip on a hole in the sidewalk and boom. Oh, my God. Right? So yeah. apparently, it apparently. works for people. Exactly. Apparently. That it just didn't work for you. It did not work for me. And uh, it, was, it was a rough few years going through it, but then making the decision to stop. And for me personally, what happened is once we made the decision to stop, because we tried IVF and it failed. That was in, that was around Christmas, not January. I got pregnant again. Honestly, I had, I mean, I had worked, I was like, no, we're done. And to have that happen again, I knew it wouldn't hold. And it sent me into such a meltdown rage. So while those infertility years were rough, I would say it was even more rough dealing with the aftermath which took years because of the amount of rage and grief and pain. And again, not only of the life, but it's the dream, how I envision my life, what I thought would be happening. That, that was, and as you said, all the trust, that trust was broken. Mm-hmm. So how do you be, how do you rebuild that? I mean, I, I totally get why you felt that rage. Oh, yeah. you know, and, and the funny thing about loss and grief is that there's, there's no, and I learned this, I learned this, these lessons about grief, not only from my own miscarriage, but after my brother passed last fall, that grief has no, there's no face to it. Mm-mm. Nope. There is no 
one way to grieve. There is no acceptable amount of time to grieve. Nope. After the miscarriage, I remember crying just for hours on end for days. And then all I did was, because I was ordered on bed rest, I think for three days, I watched Anne of Green Gables. Backstory. In Canada, about 30 years ago, they made a movie called Anne of Green Gables based on the books. I'd read all the books. Very amazing, well-done miniseries. This miniseries literally is 30 years old. It had four parts, each about three, four hours each. So I watched 12 hours of Green Gables for three days. I just laid in bed, I ate, and I watched Anne of Green Gables, Anne of Green Gables, the sequel, Anne of Green Gables, the continuing story, and then they had a couple other ones which weren't very good. But I do remember watching those, which, yeah, took 12 hours for three days. I, I just, that's brilliant. I couldn't, I couldn't yeah. do anything. I was completely, yeah. it hadn't sunk in yet. And exactly. working through all of those emotions, I just remember, I, did, I didn't realize this at the time, because of course, you know, hindsight is totally 2020. But at the time, I didn't realize that I was actually allowing myself yes. to feel, I felt angry. I felt sad. I felt the loss of a dream. I felt that. Is my miscarriage, my daughter, would have been my firstborn. I was going to name her after me. I felt that loss of a dream. And that, Tina, is what hurt the most. Absolutely. More than anything else. It wasn't just losing, having that life inside me cease to exist. That was part of it. But the thing that hurt the most, the thing that rocked me to my own core was the loss of that dream. Absolutely. Absolutely. How did you even... I mean, you talked about years of, of, of rage and anger and grief. How did you even begin to move through that? Because you, you had to go through it, and you clearly oh, yeah. did. Oh, yeah, I did. Um, I would say it's a testament to my nature that I don't sit in stuff for too long. I allow myself to be there, but then I also am, okay, uh, I got I to gotta work through this stuff because I, I don't want to be paralyzed in this emotional state. Like you said, allowance is brilliant. You've got to allow. You've got, that is hands down, number one, you've got to allow whatever is there. And you mentioned the various forms of grief. They can be concurrent. One minute yeah. you can be crying and then you're angry, but then you're angry that you're crying and then you feel apathetic and then you feel, you know, shame. And then you get, it is, it's concurrent and it ebbs and flows. It is absolutely a, a wave. It comes in waves. You never know when it's going to hit. So allowance is key. And that is really what I just started with. I, I did not speak for a week after the final time, after actually after the uh, IVF and after the 
time in January, I didn't speak. The rage was so intense that I actually lost my voice and I wasn't even, I just, it blew out my vocal cords. That's how much I had, was just, without speaking, feeling. And then slowly I started to, it was my husband who one day said, are you ready to speak? And I said, nope. And he said, okay. And I said, because if I was ready, I would say, and I unleashed. And thank God, he just held space for me. Didn't ask anything of me. Let me unleash. And I just kept repeating, well, if I was going to say something, I would say. And I just kept repeating that phrase and then saying what I would say. So it, that was the first step is allowing the torrent of emotions to come out. Because until you acknowledge it and get it out, you just, you, you can't keep shoving it down. It'll, it'll come back. It'll harm you more. It'll show up years later in who knows what sort of form. So it was allowing, but that whole first year, I would say, was allowing the torrents that would occasionally come. The, I'm sure you understand this, the, I actually stopped going on Facebook because you go on and the first thing you see is somebody is pregnant or somebody happy family. And it was like, oh, uh-uh. And that would unleash a whole nother torrent. I was really gentle with myself. Um, I, I knew a couple people were trying to get pregnant and I said, text me, <laughs> don't, don't say it to my face. Um, because even a couple years in, there were times I would have to sob hysterically. And I just thought it was so much more kind to do it via text or email because I knew I couldn't lie. I would probably have just been silent if somebody said something, not because I wasn't happy for them. It had nothing to do with that. It was my own pain. So I would say allowing was key. Acknowledging, allowing, and just being in the emotions, not having to fix them or make them go away being in them. And like you said, some days, oh my God, that's just laying in bed, zoning out. Absolutely doing nothing of any value, but just zoning out. Sometimes that's the best thing you can do. I, I wholeheartedly agree. And I think one thing that really I'm super, super passionate about is getting this one message out to the planet. And this message is feel everything. Oh, absolutely. There's so much out there in, in the work that I do in the conversations that I've had on this podcast and not just these conversations, but conversations just in general about how this planet we live on, and all the people in it, because I'm pretty sure fish and other species don't have this problem. But all the people in it have this mind-boggling problem about sitting in their emotions. Absolutely. Feeling them. Mm -hmm. Acknowledging them. Absolutely. Holding space for them. 
I know now there's a lot of conversation about mental illness. I know every so often I see the campaigns and the hashtags and we all become social activists on social media. Like if we put up the hashtag saying end the stigma and not to make light of it. At the same time, we are taught as a species, as a society, get over it. Yes. Don't feel it. Totally. Just move on. And my all-time favorite, rise higher. And this is in the spiritual world, which I don't know about you, burns my cookies. Rise higher. Lover above. Rise up. Elevate your vibration. Stay high. Don't feel bad. Ooh, don't go there. (laughs) I'm telling you, (laughs) Tina, when I see and I hear this stuff, I say to myself, self, what collectively is going on? (laughs) Well, because there's been a lot of the idea that if you're going to do any sort of personal growth work, it's all peace, love, and positive energy. Uh And um, that has never been me. That has never been how I approach my business. Ironically, I am a pretty loving person who is crazy positive. But it's also because I have, since my early 20s, done deep dive into emotions. And what that has allowed by acknowledging them, by working for years on you can tell rage. I've done a lot of rage. (laughs) (laughs) I I seem to get people who have a lot of rage stuff because I am so not afraid of it. I am not Mm -hmm. afraid of it. I am not afraid of my own. I know how to do it safely. So it is not thrown out there and harming people. And conversely, it has made me incredibly but I think I've always been very, I shouldn't say it. It, it's allowed me to be more of even my more positive, loving self because I don't have skeletons in the closet. And so I'm not faking it with that message, but you gotta be real. And part of humanity is having the messy emotions. Mm-hmm. If you don't acknowledge them, you're, you're, you're discounting yourself. And again, it's your, your, you can't show up fully. You can't be present. If everything's just hi, everything is peachy keen for me. No, I'm not angry. Oh, nothing gets done. Who has time when I'm thinking about that or like trying to do laundry, I can't be sky high all the time. I need my clothes washed. Do you know what I'm saying? It's It's not practical. It's not practical. And it, it actually does more harm because then the people who hear those messages think, Oh my God, I had a bad thought today. Oh my God, what's wrong with me? Mm-hmm. Oh. I used to be one of those people. I used to be like when I first started going down this path of personal development, of spirituality, and I would have those thoughts, like my first introduction into the law of attraction, for example, when I would have a quote unquote bad thought, what was the first thing I did? I punished myself and said, Althea, boo, you had a bad thought. Oh my God. And then I would freak out and it would just be this cycle of self-flagellation. Like you had a bad thought. Oh, you had another bad thought. Oh, that is, it's all done now. It's all gone to pot because 
Because <laughs> you have those bad thoughts. Yep, I had all those bad thoughts. And then I thought, okay, I'm just inviting all this crap into my life because I thought maybe three bad things out of the day. Exactly. So then where does this leave me? Right? Where, where does this leave me? It, it leaves me in a space where I don't feel great. I feel terrible all the time because I had this one sneaky bad thought, but because it wasn't continuously positive and up sky high miles above my head. <laughs> right. So if something that didn't go my way happened to me, and thank goodness that I had finally kind of seen, literally seen the light because everything is supposedly just light, right? By the time the miscarriage happened, I was past that point of feeling that I couldn't have a mm. negative thought. I, I was past that point. So at least I learned enough that when I was going through this, I wasn't punishing myself for thinking badly or just blanketing gratitude, just saying, okay, thank you for the experience, which I was able to do eventually, but not immediately right there. No, no, you needed to be out of your body. You needed to watch Anne of Green Gables. You needed to not do anything, but be in the numb, because yeah. it is absolutely numb first. Yeah. Yeah, it was, I, I'd lost people, but you're right. And that, yeah, it was the loss, the loss of a dream. But I now know my daughter, Athena, so I named her after me. My daughter is a star. Absolutely. She's a star and every so often, She'll come down and say, way to go, mommy. Aww. Keep going, mommy. You got this. Like, I, she's, and she's not, she's not a baby. Like, she's a grown woman. Yes. But every so often, she, she shows up as a guide. Like, okay, mommy, we're going through a bit of a rough patch, but I'm here. I got you. I, we're going we're gonna to get through this. And it was only after she became a star was I really able to see things differently. Was I really able to, okay, I've let all of this out. And now, and I'm sure you came to this point too. Once you let out all of that rage, once you let out all of the guilt, the shame, because I'm sure... You must have felt a ton of it. Oh, yeah. You let all of it out. Then what happened? Well, I started... After I let it out, and then I specifically worked all the various pain components, um, I would say the next step was doing a lot of forgiveness work. A With lot yourself? with myself and with the universe, but they mm. no longer with them. Cause I was still like, yeah, screw you. Um, but <laughs> they lied, right? Oh, totally. They totally and, lied. You know, the brilliance is 
because if you grow up religious at all, it's like, <gasps> you cannot say, you know, the F word or anything to the universe. Oh my God, you're going to be smited. You're going to be knocked down. Yeah. And what I learned was <laughs> they were like, just say it. You're feeling it. It's not going to hurt anybody. It doesn't I hurt us. They don't it's, know what you're thinking. <laughs> exactly. My team would always, my unseen team of helpers, just say it, say it. And there was such freedom and liberty in saying it. So I would say ultimately then going to the forgiveness work. And um, that is really what helped me to move forward. And then deciding what's the new dream? You know, what's, what's the new dream? Now, that is an interesting question because at least for me, and I know there's a lot of people out there with a lot of opinions. And I, I honor everybody's path. It's all very different. So for me, my next step was not adoption. It was not continuing on in any other way. I, it was a lot of soul searching to make the decision to be done. I'll just say that because I know there's it's, a very... It's, it's your journey. And exactly. we are here to honor and and listen to your experience and you're absolutely right i mean after a few months after i miscarried i became pregnant it was a very difficult pregnancy i almost lost my son three times he was born on my birthday by emergency c-section he kept flipping around <laughs> he would breach and then flip and then breach and then flip he was just having a grand old time Say. Back and forth, right? Like 3 a.m. dance parties, last <laughs> trimester, just busted a move. Like, that's my child. Keep going. So, umbilical cord was wrapped around his neck three times, and I was literally watching his heartbeat slow oh. from 160 beats a minute to 16. <gasps> Five minutes later, I'm high on morphine. They're hanging this poor baby in front of my face, and they're like, Here's your son. And I'm like, Hooray! Exactly. And just totally passed out. So, but after that, I realized, okay, A, my son is a bit of a mic drop moment. Like, born on my birthday, beautiful totally. curls. Total mic drop moment. And then I thought, you know what? I'm done. I don't want any more. Yeah. And the fact that I got asked if I was having more literally four hours after they cut him from my body. <laughs> they're literally like clean. They're, we're in the birthing room. They're cleaning him, giving him like his first bath, combing his hair, putting on lovely little newborn diaper. And the nurse turns to me and says, when are you having more? I said, can I get through the day? And also a cup of ice chips, please. <laughs> There is this notion out there, Tina, that once you have, you just got to keep going. And if you don't, what's wrong with you? There's so, there's this, I'm seeing this now. There's women out there who have chosen yes. not to have children, but then they get the. Oh, absolutely. Oh, they do. Oh, no. All you need is a baby. Come on. Come on. Like, just have another donut. <laughs> <laughs> Because it's great. Right? Great. Just, just come on. Eat one more. It won't bother you. It's fine. It's fine. So, making that decision for yourself that 
you know what? I have, I've gone through this. Clearly, this is not something that I want to pursue again. And I am making the decision for me and my body. Absolutely. To stop, which I'm sure would have, it was difficult enough for you to come to this decision, but to even share that with anyone else. Yeah, because there were, you know, people that weren't thrilled by that decision. And thank God my husband and I were absolutely on the same page. But, you know, you make that decision. It's not an easy decision. It takes a lot of time and a lot of soul searching. And when you make that decision, as I said, then it becomes, (laughs) what next? And I honestly could not answer that question for years. Because I was, I, I really don't know what is next. Um, and slowly things start to, you know, they say it takes time. It actually really does take time because over time you start to, wow, okay, what, what can I do now? I thought my time would be X that now my time is pretty open. So who am I now not being a mom and what what will my life look like so it was a lot of imagining and daydreaming and processing again through you know what uh, what does this look like what is this you know ultimately i felt incredible freedom and joy but that again it took years to get to the point where i'm at now absolutely years so for me, I think also the saving grace is that I love kids and I never wanted to be that person who had to hide from kids. I absolutely honor people I know who are that way. Absolutely. With zero judgment. But for me, I dove in with my godsons and with people who had kids and it was like, well, I'm not going to be a mom. I'm going to be the best damn auntie out there. So, yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, so I really was working to create peace because I wanted to be that way too. I didn't want, I didn't want anybody to feel sorry for me or I wanted to be, you know what? I'm, I'm going to eventually make peace with this. And that's why I was determined to eventually make peace with it and to thrive and ultimately rise above. But you can't, as you said, you can't just go to rising above if you haven't been in the mud. Mm-hmm. You got to dig in the mud. You got you to get dirty in that mud. Mm-hmm. And then you can rise above it. How did you ultimately forgive the universe for sending you all of the signs that were saying, Tina, you're going to be a mom. You're going to have mom hair and wear mom jeans and have puke on you and no sleep. Like all the things that come with motherhood that you envisioned your life with. And then the universe was just like, shoot, that's not happening. Thank thank you for coming out by. How did you forgive the universe and repair that relationship you have with the universe? I think ultimately for me, what did it was because like you, I think you and I are very blessed that we had a bond with our little ones because every time I got pregnant, it was the same little guy. 
And I know a lot of people who have, did not have that experience. And I actually think that's part of what helped the healing is ultimately, I realized that I, I went to somebody to do some body work and she said, you know, you, boy, you gave your little guy a gift. And I was like, what? And she said, he doesn't have to do the body thing now. Like he got to come in, he got to work with you. He got to love you to pieces and you loved him to pieces. And now he's free. Like he gets to be up there. He has ultimate freedom. Like, wow, what a beautiful gift you gave him. But you allowed him to experience it and then gave him the choice to move on. She goes, that's the ultimate in unconditional love. And when she said that to me, I was like, oh my God. Wow. The universe didn't do it to me. I, on some level, unbeknownst to me, was agreeing to this experience to ultimately give him that love, bring more love into my life, and ultimately be able to bring light to this situation and talk about it to other people so they don't feel so isolated in it because I was able to heal from it. And there's too many people who, who, who don't have that outlet. So in going through all this, I could give voice to a specific pain that is not talked about enough and heal others. So for me, I think that is part of why it happened. And again, it was not conscious to me, absolutely subconscious, unconscious to me. But after she said that to me and I really sat with it, it, it rang true. And I realized that there is tremendous power in what that experience is. So I think in, in doing that, I, it, I took my power back from saying to the universe, it's your fault. It was like, oh no. Because with anything in life, you gotta look at, okay, why did I allow this on some level, even if it's unconscious, you, you know? on some level. So I really had to, you know, own that it wasn't really the universe. It was ultimately me that I had to forgive for on whatever unconscious level. I was like, sure, little one, come in and then cause me all this trauma. It was like, no, that's not really what happened. But it is because I'm in a body and I don't remember all this other stuff. So as part of the, of the forgiveness journey, you accepted responsibility Absolutely. for allowing your son to come yes. experience earth for even just a short time and then to depart. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, ultimately I am really, really a believer in that, that if you cannot take responsibility for something, you cannot heal it. And so I had to take responsibility, even if I didn't know what that was. I have to take responsibility that on some level, even if it's unconscious, I allowed this. And it didn't diminish the grief because I was still in phases where I was like, yeah, but screw that. It was stupid. Why would I do something so stupid? I want him here now. I don't care that he's all happy. You're supposed to be here. 
you know, so you have to go through, as I said earlier, sometimes concurrently, mm-hmm. you're healing and you're grieving and you're healing and you're grieving. But that to me was ultimately how I found a way to repair the trust. That and really, you know, journaling or speaking. I'm, I'm a big speaker. I, I find I don't, sometimes I journal, which I find hugely helpful, but I also tend to just walk around the house talking out loud. And so I did a lot of just talking to the universe um, to find a way to create peace. And now today, here you are, and we are having this beautiful conversation, and I know you wanted to bring this to light, and now here we are talking openly. Yes. And fairly candidly, if I might add. Exactly. <laughs> but it needs to be, so people it don't... Does. Yes, I agree. And so they don't hide, and I mean, that is... That is I would never want that for anybody. Uh-huh. You know, it's like you just, I just want to hug anybody going through it. You're like, no, you're not alone. Yeah. I, I now have, if anyone says, I have miscarried, Oof. I immediately think, all I want to do is hold space for you. Absolutely. And let you, if you have to rage, you rage. If you have to throw something, throw something. If you have to cuss like a sailor, cuss like, no offense to sailors. I'm sure there's sailors with clean mouths. (laughs) If you have to, whatever you need to do, just do it. Just get it out. And and this asinine concept of floating sky high all the time where we're just like 35,000 feet permanently, right? Because that supposedly heals everything. And it's only within, I'm telling you, Tina, within the last week where I have learned how critical grounding is. Oh, grounding is everything. Grounding is everything. I learned how to ground when I was right out of college. I eventually started teaching how to, I learned through a place that uh, existed. It was called the um, Berkeley Psychic Institute. And I eventually was teaching people how to do it there. And I don't, I, I, I every day yeah. <laughs> it's, we're in bodies. So yes. if you're always floating off in space, you can't, you gotta be in your body. That's where everything is. You could say, Oh, but that's where the pain is. But you know what? That's where the love is. That's, that's where, where the, the lessons are. Is. Absolutely. That's where the passion is. You're not mm. going to be passionate if you're, floating all around (laughs) yes i i'm learning just literally within the last few days about the concept of grounding and i remember like i've done it before you know walking on barefoot on the beach in the grass blah 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 blah. but it was literally only just today where (laughs) i went outside and i i found a tree I looked for like a tree that I could tell that had been there for some time, like a well-rooted tree. And I put my hand on the tree and it was almost as if I could feel my empath ability just blew up. 
I could feel everything. Things I hadn't felt in ages. <laughs> and I felt more, I, was, I didn't feel so scattered because I would, yes. of course, when I would look for answers, where am I looking? Straight up. But then I'm now called this the descent. Descent from the head to the heart, descent into the ground, into the earth. Now that I'm consciously doing this, yes. I'm seeing such an incredible shift. Huge shifts because you will get out of that blah, 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 overthinking space mm -hmm. to get down. And it'll make sense the more you do it, why everybody says, well, the answers are within and you, you know what to do. And if you're not grounded, no. Mm -hmm. But if you're grounded, you start to hear what yes. your heart wants, what your gut's telling you, because you're in your body. You're not floating somewhere. You can't hear it if you're floating <laughs> off in space. And believe me, now I can say that because I am a friggin' floater. <laughs> I mean, my natural state is like, la, la, ooh, rainbows and unicorns. I'm off in fairyland. So I really have to be conscientious about getting myself anchored in because I know I mean I was that kid in school that was just daydreaming mm -hmm. so I know that I have got to ground I am non-functional if I don't but it makes the world of difference and I can still daydream but then I can also be back in and that's where all the power is the power is in when you're grounded power is not floating around Tina, I want to profoundly say thank you for this conversation. You're so welcome. This candid, raw, honest, full of candor, heartfelt <laughs> conversation about what it is to go through this kind of grief. I'm so grateful for having you on Brokenhearted. I am so grateful for being here. Thank you. Thank for you. Such a beautiful space. Thank you. You're welcome. One key thing I learned from this conversation with Tina is that grief and healing overlap. When you're going through grief or loss, healing can occur at the same time. It's not as if you experience grief and then you experience healing. You can experience both grief and healing at the same time. It's an incredible phenomenon once you go through it. But the key here is, is you need to go through it to be able to experience it. You can find Tina at www.tinagermain.com and sign up to receive her blog posts and emails. They're pretty, pretty cool. You can also check out Tina on Instagram at, at Tina Germain, at T-I-N-A-G-E-R-M-A-I-N. Tune in next week for another episode of Brokenhearted. I look forward to seeing you again soon. Take care. Brokenhearted is sponsored by Heart on Fire, a new kind of coaching experience. Start where you are with what you have. Begin to move past the pain. Go to bit.ly slash recover from heartbreak to book your free heartbreak recovery session today.